everyone. Welcome back to the Tactical Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Kanakin. I am very excited to bring you today's interview that I had with one of the most knowledgeable instructors that I personally know and have trained with. That, of course, is Mr. Brian Willis. Brian is an expert when it comes to training, instructor development, mindset, and leadership. If you don't know Brian, he is recognized throughout North America as a catalyst for change in the law enforcement profession. Brian was a full-time police officer for over 25 years and has over 30 years of law enforcement training experience. He has received the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal for contributions to the law enforcement profession. He's also received the Law Enforcement Officer Trainer of the Year. In addition to his work with law enforcement professionals, Brian has served as a mental preparations coach for athletes from a variety of sports, including two of our very own Olympians. So if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. This man has so much knowledge, so much experience to share. I'm very excited to share with you this interview that him and I had just conducted. So if you're ready, we're going to bring Brian on and we're going to start the show. Hey, Brian, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you've been extremely busy um, and you were just down at the Ailita conference. Before we jump in, uh, start asking questions, why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself and what you do? Excellent. Well, I was a police officer in Calgary, Alberta, Canada for 25 years. So started in 1979, retired in 2004. And in that 25 year span, I worked as a patrol officer, a patrol supervisor, a tactical officer. And then I was attached to the training section for the last uh, part of my career, the last eight and a half years of my career. I served as a sergeant in charge of a unit where we were responsible for all of the officer safety training, subject control tactics training, driver training and incident command training for the police service. And since my retirement in November of 2004, I've had the privilege of running my training company, Winning Mind Training, and traveling around North America and uh, training with and uh, speaking to law enforcement officers and organizations and people from all aspects of the profession uh, on areas such as leadership and training and what's important now and a number of different philosophies. So for people that don't know, I actually had met you quite a few years ago and uh, have been following you ever since. It originally started when I was working with the Saskatoon Health Region and got on as one of their DT instructors. We actually got put into a course that you were running, one of the PPCT instructor courses. At the time, you had members from all other agencies, so sheriffs, highway, conservation, um, and then you had us little group of security instructors uh, that were kind of trying to just follow along, so... That was my first uh, my first introduction to you back then, um, and I've been following you ever. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. So you just got back from the Ailita conference. Now, before we, I get you to kind of just let us know how that went. Can you maybe just share a little bit about what Ailita is and uh, and who who is that? Uh, organization designed for. Absolutely. ILEDA is the International Law Enforcement Educators and Trainers Association. So this was our 16th annual conference. And so it was started 16 years ago by Ed Nowicki, who was a, a legend in law enforcement training and started his career with Chicago Police Department in the 60s. And Ed wanted to found an organization for trainers that was based on the foundation that everybody in the organization is peers. Some people have more name recognition. There's people that have written books. There's people that have been in it for 40, 50 years, and other people are new to it. But everybody in the organization is peers. And it's an organization that brings together thousands of trainers from around the world. And we truly have an, an international flavor to the organization. We had people from 
probably 10 or 12 different countries at the conference in St. Louis. And it's an organization that throughout the year tries to provide, works to provide content to members in the area of professional development. And then once a year, we bring together about 750 trainers from around the world to a conference where people are able to share ideas, make new connections. And what the organization continually does is it continually pushes and challenges all of us to raise the bar, to raise our standards, to raise the bar for the profession, to honor those that have gone before us, to look at what can we do currently to enhance the training that we're providing so that we can create a better future and a better legacy in the profession. Yeah, you're bringing together some of the best minds in law enforcement, education, and training from around the world into one specific location. And for, for those of you who don't know, one of the amazing things about the conference is just the the amount of courses, and whether they be uh, certification courses or not, um, and the amount of lectures and things like that that people have access to. I mean, uh, when you sit there and you look through the the day to day list of activities, you almost kind of you, you're almost taken aback by not knowing what to t- pick because there's so many options. Absolutely, and we have uh, on average at at a conference between about 160 and 180 different programs that are offered, anywhere from two hours to four hours. Two and four hour blocks are the majority. There are some eight hour blocks, there are some certification classes, there are some armors classes, but it's a a wide variety and it's every element to, to do a training that you can think of. So it's not just physical skills training, although we have a physical skills track, we have a firearms track, but there's lesson plan development, there's how to more effectively develop engaging PowerPoint, there's how to engage your students, there's what does the research say on learning and training and how can we take that research and apply it any element of training that you can think of, regardless of how much knowledge or experience you have, there's something offered there that's going to challenge you. And then the other big benefit to the organization is the connections that are made in the hallways, at lunch, at coffee, over dinner, uh, the discussions that take place in the classrooms where you get truly to connect with people from around the world. And those can become lifelong connections so that you have sources that you can go to when you need information or data or support. That's very important. And um, whether you work for an agency or in a remote location, it can be very difficult as an instructor and trainer to, to get qualifications, to get certifications and to get additional training especially if you're having to do it on your own time and on your own dime and your agency is not necessarily paying for it or has the resources to. This is kind of one of those situations where if you only have one thing, if you only have money to spend on one thing throughout your whole year to kind of better yourself as an instructor, this is the one thing that I always tell everybody. I was like, you know what? Join Ilita, get down to this conference because you essentially get a year's worth of information packed into a week. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that challenge is the same in the U.S. So in the United States, there's 18,000 police agencies. Ninety percent of them are 20 officers or less. The majority of agencies are small agencies that have limited budgets and they're spread out. And so there's a it's a challenge for everybody in the profession to get access to high quality training and especially from a professional development standpoint for trainers. And this is a piece that's missing. It's It needs to go beyond just sending trainers for certification and recertification. What are we doing in the area of professional development to make them better instructors, to make them better trainers, make them better coaches, to help them to understand how to apply the research on learning to what it is that they're doing in their training programs. And I would agree if uh, Ilita should be on every trainer's bucket list. And if you can only go to one event a year, 
then I would certainly recommend go to that because of the wide range of programs and the high quality of programs. Uh, and just so everybody's doing, this isn't the, uh, this isn't an advertisement for Alita. Uh, they're not sponsoring this at all. Um, this is just something that I personally believe it benefits law enforcement instructors and trainers in North America. And I think it's a great resource um, for those of us who maybe don't have that budget or the time um, allowed by our agencies. So, so Brian, I've followed you for a long time. I've watched your TEDx talks. I've read your books. I follow you along with your blog posts that you put on your website and all that. We'll link all that uh, into our page as well for everybody to take a look at once we're done. But in all these presentations and courses, you always talk about life's most powerful question. Can you explain briefly what that's all about? Absolutely. So about 16 and a half, 17 years ago, I was reading a book called Winning Every Day by Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz is a famous former college football coach down in the U.S., probably most famous for his time as the head coach at the University of Notre Dame, coaching the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And about the same time I was reading the book, I was watching a couple of videos of Lou Holtz talking about life lessons and leadership lessons. And in the book and in the videos, he talked about a question, what's important now, represented by the acronym WIN. And it struck me when I read that, that it was such a simple question, but such a powerful question, and a question that we could use to apply in any area of our life. Now, he taught it to the young men that played football for him to help them to make better decisions, and not only as football players, but as young men moving on in their careers and their lives. But if you think about the decisions, we make decisions every day. We make decisions about what we eat. We make decisions about whether we work out. We make decisions about whether we read or engage in personal growth activities. We make decisions about how we treat people at home, in the workplace, in the community. We make choices about the attitude we take to life, to work. We make choices every day. And if we can take this simple question, what's important now, and apply it to our decision-making process throughout the day. It helps us to make simple, powerful decisions. Now, I've been teaching this in every presentation that I've done since I read that book and watched those videos. And what's always amazing is the way that people find to apply this principle. So it's being taught in every element of law enforcement training somewhere around North America. People are teaching it as a decision-making tool to recruits. They're teaching it as part of leadership, ethics, professional communication, tactical combat casualty care, active uh, killer response, any element of law enforcement training you can think of. But there's also teachers teaching it in the classroom. There's youth sports coaches teaching it to the kids that they coach. There's parents teaching it to their children at home. There is people that I've worked with or have read my What's Important Now newsletter that have used it in their battle against cancer. People have used it to deal with the loss of a loved one, whether it was uh, a sibling or a spouse who died uh, unexpectedly very early in life or uh, somebody's partner that was murdered in the line of duty. And so it's a simple powerful question that when we start to apply it, we can apply it in any area of our life. And that's why I refer to it as life's most powerful question because of its simplicity and because of its diversity and application. Yeah, there's, um, before I heard it from you in the way that kind of you framed it in the, in the wind framework using what's important now, before that, I, I real I realized once I heard you say it, that I was actually doing the same thing in training and in life myself just I didn't have a word for it. Um, I guess we kind of called it uh, prioritization or trying to figure out and, t- and taking things one step at a time, but making sure that the most important thing got done first. 
and the way that you framed it kind of it, it makes it almost so simple that it, it doesn't make sense not to follow along um, with the program. It's, you know, what what is the most important thing to you right now? You know, if I'm in the middle of a gunfight, what is important now? Is it either returning rounds on range? Is it getting to cover? Is it calling in for backup? What is what is the most important thing for me to do right now? But then, like you said, maybe it's after that incident or that engagement. And now it's okay. Am I do I do a self check for injury? Do I have to care for myself? Do I have a partner? Is there a civilian? Hurt? Is the shooter down? Do I have to provide care to the shooter? It's there's so many aspects. And it seems like this question just gets recycled. And it just repeats over and over and over again from from one thing to the other. And would you agree that most people go through this win process hundreds of times in a day? People that are using it absolutely do. They do it hundreds of times in a day. And that, and that's and then when they get thrust into something critical, and so you talked about uh, a gunfight, and I actually had an officer who was exposed to the win concept as a recruit, and then it was reinforced by his FTO and reinforced by a mentor in his department, and it became the way that David thought. And when David was describing a gunfight that he was in to me, that's exactly what he described. He described what's important now is the subject is shooting at me. What's important now is I need to get Get my gun out, return fire. What's important now is I need to move. What's important now is I need to readjust my position over the corner of that building. What's important now is I need to do a tactical reload. What's important now is I need to skip the tactical reload because the subject's getting back in his vehicle and about to drive away. And what's important now is I need to step out and shoot him and stop him. And what's important now is I'm not going to take that shot because there's a citizen on the other side of the sidewalk from the truck. And what's important now is I need to get on the radio and give his direction to travel as he leaves the scene. And then what's important now is I need to slow my breathing down. What's important now is I need to do get on the radio and get help on the way. Then what's important now is I need to do a self-assessment because he had been shot uh, seven times in that gunfight. And so he's continually using what's important now. That's how he's describing it to me. Now, it wasn't a conscious thought process at the time, but it had become so ingrained in a way that he thought that that's what he did. Somebody else who used it at a helicopter crash, when he shows up at the scene and his officers are in a bit of a panic state, he's now the incident commander, just starts asking what's important now to prioritize if issues or threats that they're facing and then deal with problem after problem after problem. He said, I just kept asking what's important now till we ran out of problems to fix. So if people that are using it are asking the question all the time and then it just becomes a default way that we are thinking and uh, applying this principle, and it's a powerful principle. It seems like it could also be used in a way to recall incidents. So if I'm going through a process of recall, and without getting too far into the, uh, you know, how the mind works and memory and all that, but when I'm recalling an incident, if I'm able to go through step-by-step, just like you did, saying this is what was important at the time, and this is what I did next, Um, It may help in actually trying to figure out and piece together those incidents when we do have some of that critical incident amnesia. Is that something that you found at all or am I kind of out in the out in the dark. No, absolutely. I mean, you could use it that way. So again, what's important now is I need to understand that my memory is going to be more accurate after uh, 24, 48, 72 hours than it is immediately after. What's important now is I need to focus on getting a couple of good rest cycles. What's important now is I might need to do a walkthrough. What's important now is that I can use some of these things to trigger some of those memories. So you absolutely, there's, a, there's 
the ways that you can apply this principle and concept are fundamentally limitless. You're only limited by your own imagination. So that's certainly uh, one way that you could use it and apply it. Absolutely. So you go through WIN with all of your presentations, all of your courses, and you do teach a lot of a lot of the courses and things that you run now are geared towards trainers and instructors, mostly in law enforcement, but you you know some military, some corrections, some security. What do you feel is some of the biggest challenges that trainers and instructors in law enforcement face today? I think some of the challenges, one of the challenges is that training still for the most part in many agencies is seen as an expense and not an investment. And as a result, when budgets get cut, what you commonly hear from people as well, the budget got cut, training is one of the first things to go. And what we as trainers need to understand is that we own a piece of that. What we need to do is create ways to uh, get a return on investment for training. And what I mean by that is let's go back to the ILEDA conference. So let's say your supervisor, Adam, is going to send you to ILEDA. In an ideal world, if training was seen as an investment, your supervisor would take some time, go through the list of all the classes, and then sit down with you before you go and say, look, I think these two classes speak directly to some of these issues or challenges that our organization is facing right now. So while you're there for the week, I would like you to take these two classes. The rest of the week is up to you to select which classes you feel are going to best benefit you to give you the development that you need. But let's put some dates on the calendar for when you get back from the conference. And I would like to talk to you about what your greatest two or three takeaways were from every class that you attended and uh, one or two action steps that on the, you are going to take to apply what you've learned. And if we started to do that every time we sent somebody to any type of training, now we start to get a return on investment for our training. The reason why training is seen as an expense and not as an investment is because we send people to training programs and nobody ever says, what did you learn? We send people, we pay for, in some cases for people to get their degrees or their advanced degrees. And nobody ever says, what did you learn? How are you applying what you've learned? How are you sharing what you've learned? So I think one of the biggest challenges is that uh, training is still seen as an expense and not an investment. And once we can start to change that so that training becomes part of the culture. So every day is a training day and we're finding ways to be continually rolling out training, but we're also getting a return on investment for that training. Then I think we can start to address that. So that would probably be the first one. That's a fantastic point that, and I'm guilty of it myself. Um, going out and taking a course, and it could be a one-day course, it could be a one-week course, but when you return from the training, the fact that you don't take the time or aren't allotted the time to share what you've learned with either fellow instructors, uh, with your cadre, or with the officers that are under your charge, if you don't have the time to, to share what you've learned, then there was almost no point in you taking the training in the first place. Um, and actually, you know, before we, we jumped on this call here, I was reading through some of your blogs and you posted a blog a few days ago, and I'd like to just read it real quick because it's very short. And I think it speaks, it speaks almost right to this. Um, and this is what you said. It is not enough to read a large number of books, listen to a variety of podcasts, read a number of blogs, attend courses, conferences, and seminars, and gain a great deal of knowledge. Knowledge is not power. It is potential. The potential to empower others, the potential to initiate change and make things better. Knowledge 
is of little use without action. Too often we put a lot of value on stickers, certificates, diplomas, and degrees without ever asking, what did you learn? And what actions are you taking to implement what you learned? You need to embrace both learning and doing. And I read that and it was kind of that bing light bulb moment. I was like, I don't know why there isn't a greater emphasis, um, especially from instructor trainers that at the end of the program saying, listen, I want you to take what you've learned today and I want you to share it with people. So what was going through your head when, when you wrote that blog post? Well, basically, this this issue that I see time and time again, where there's no mechanism in place in organizations to uh, ensure that we're getting this return on investment, where we're we're spending money, and it's not just law enforcement. It's uh, a friend of mine in the profession was sharing uh, an article with me recently where it was they called it the great training robbery uh, about how much money in the private sector is wasted on training because we do nothing to ensure that we get a return on investment. And so, uh, you know, I see people uh, that, you know, talk about how many books they've read and, and I'm a huge proponent of reading and learning, but if we're not sharing what we're learning now, if we go back to that concept, so if I have that conversation with you before you go to that conference, they, uh, it does a few things. One of the things it does for you is it's, you're going to be more engaged in all of those training classes. You're going to be very selective about what you attend. You're going to be very engaged in those. You're going to take notes. You're going to reflect afterwards. You're going to have to retrieve the information afterwards. And then when you put together a summary to give to me, you're going to engage in that reflection and that active or effortful retrieval. And what the research on learning says is that those are keys for us to make learning sticky. So the learning that takes place for you at the conference is going to be far stickier because you've had to go through those exercises. Now, when you explain it to me and teach it to me, it makes it even stickier. Now I'm learning from your experience. And then when you go out and share it, that's where we start to get this real compounding effect to this learning and the investment from the training that we're doing. And it's a simple thing to do. It's just a matter of supervisors having a conversation with people before they go on a course and say, let's put a date on the calendar for when you get back and let's talk about what you learned. Let's talk about what you're applying and then let's create opportunities for you to share that information. And when we do that, now the learning starts to grow exponentially. Now we get a return on our investment and now training no longer becomes the first thing that we cut when we're cutting the budget. So for officers and trainers that are trying to convince their agencies, their departments to allow them to do this training, what are some what are some things or one thing that you think that they should be using as a way to explain themselves when they say, hey, I need to go to this course and here's why? Well, I think what you need to do is step back. And if one of the mistakes that we make when we try to sell something is we try to sell it to. So if you're if we reverse roles here now, you're my supervisor and I'm trying to sell it to you based on uh, why I should go to ILEDA or go to a course or a conference. Too often what I do is I try to sell it to you based on why it's important to me. What I need to do is step back from that and say, why would this be important to Adam? And then why would it be important to his boss? How is it in alignment with the mission and the vision of the organization? How does this support the core values of the organization? 
And so I'm going to spend some time reflecting, and then I'm going to go to you and say, Adam, I would really like to attend this conference, the ILEDA conference, and here's the benefit to uh, our unit. Here's the benefit to the organization. Here's how it supports the mission and the vision, and here's how it supports the initiatives that you are attempting to accomplish or working to accomplish within the training section or within this district or this region. So now there's you see the benefit to you as opposed to just Brian going to uh, Ailita for a week and having a great experience and then coming back and and us getting nothing for it. If I can explain to you up front what you're going to get out of it, what the organization is going to get out of it, how it supports all of those elements within our organization, now you start to realize, hey, this is a pretty significant return on investment for what it's going to cost me to send Brian. So I think that's where we missed the boat. We need to do a better job of selling the uh, return on investment, the benefit to the supervisor, the benefit to the area, the benefit to the organization from investing in me and sending me. And then I need to follow up and make sure that I follow up and, and prove that return on investment by having those discussions when I come back. Yeah, if you're a trainer or instructor and you're listening to this right now, um, I want you to make sure that you save this podcast and when you sit down in your office, the next time in your office, I want you to go through, listen to it again and take notes because that is pretty much step for step how you can ask your supervisor to get training that you guys need for your agency. It may not work, but at least it's going to give you a, a, a fighting chance. So, Brian, we've talked about challenges facing law enforcement trainers. We've talked about attending courses and disseminating information after we've attended courses. What, from the leadership standpoint now, um, if we take a step back and we kind of, we go up the chain and we're talking about looking down from a leadership perspective, what are some of their biggest challenges that they're facing in law enforcement today? Well, I th there's two things. And, and one very quickly is that uh, we, and it's, I don't think it's just, uh, just law enforcement, but in law enforcement, we have made the mistake historically of confusing rank, position, and title with leadership. So we have this philosophy, this mindset that here's your stripes, here's your bars, here's your stars, so now you are a leader. Leadership is never about rank, position, and title. It's about action. It's about interaction. It's about do our people lead, following you, and are they following you voluntarily? And I think the reason why one of the reasons why we have this is that leadership in most organizations is a course and it's not a culture. So this ties in with the return on investment from training philosophy. And here's what I mean by this is that if people reflect on their agency in most organizations, there is a course or courses that you need to take in order for you to get uh, to be able to apply for the specialty assignment or to get promoted to the next rank in your organization. And so you go and take the course, you tick the box off, and again, nobody ever says, what did you learn in that course? There are organizations, and I know a few law enforcement organizations that have multiple three-week leadership programs, and I've talked to numerous people that have been through those programs, and nobody ever said to them, what are you learning, how are you applying what you're learning, and how are you sharing what you're learning? So we need to take steps to make sure that leadership is a culture, it's not a course. We need to teach leadership at the academy. 
Leadership needs to be reinforced by the FTOs. Our trainers need to understand that they are some of the most influential and powerful leaders in any organization. And that includes the field training officers or the PTOs, police training officers, depending on what terminology people use. And then it should be continually reinforced throughout people's careers, as opposed to it just being a tick box where I tick the box off, say, hey, I took this leadership course internally or externally, so I'm good to go. To the extent that there are agencies around the world that send uh, leaders to the or people in formal leadership positions to the FBI National Academy in Quantico, Virginia, which is a 10-week leadership development program. Everybody that I've talked to said it's an absolute amazing life-changing experience. But I've asked hundreds of graduates at the FBI National Academy did you have a conversation with your boss before you went about let's put those dates on the calendar for when you get back? And I've yet to have a single person that said yes. And so then the question is, did they have that initiate that conversation when you got back to find out what you learned and how you're applying it? And again, the answer is almost universally no. So we we have these leadership courses that we that we send people on. And we do nothing to ensure that they are learning anything or applying what they're learning or that we're getting any of this return on that investment. And what we need to do is make leadership part of the culture so we teach it from the beginning and we reinforce it throughout people's careers rather than just in some of these one-off blocks. I've attended those courses myself with the military where you're on a 10-week course or a three-month course and you come out of there being like, I got this down. Like, I know this front to back, start to finish, and I could share this information with everybody. And if we're talking about leadership, and now I have all these tools for leadership, where do you think the breakdown occurs? Because eventually that person is going to be moving up, most likely moving up in their organization to higher ranks and higher positions. And then those are the people that kind of lose context when it comes to now the junior officers or the junior trainers that are now going through that leadership training. There seems to be a disconnect. Where, where do you think that's happening? Well, and I think it happens from the, based on going back to the fact that leadership is a course and it's not a culture, that we don't do anything. Uh, first of all, we should, before we promote you to any, any particular rank, we should make sure that we've given you the leadership tools and skills to allow you to be successful, rather than waiting till after you're in that rank and then maybe down the road a year sending you on some program. But if we're going to, if we are not going to do anything to ensure, uh, to find out what you learned and to ensure that you're applying what you're learning and to support your efforts in that, you come back from that 10 weeks and everybody says, about time you're back. We've been covering you all, you're doing all your freaking work for the last 10 weeks and you've got all of this stuff stacked up and then life gets in the way and boom, you're right back into it. And we do nothing to ensure that you're applying what you're learning. So we leave it up to you. And so what we see is people that are true leaders will take that information and they will come back and they will apply it. And they will apply what they're learning. They will get feedback from the people that they have the privilege of leading. They will get feedback from their peers. They will get feedback from their boss about how they're doing, what can they do better. 
But the breakdown, I think, comes from the fact that we don't, in most organizations, we don't have systems or processes or mechanisms in place to ensure that that happens. We don't see leadership as a development process from before we hire you till the time you retire and we, where we are continually investing in you and building your leadership skills throughout that entire process, whether you ever seek promotion or not. Some of the most influential leaders in police organizations are constables, patrol officers, deputies, troopers, corrections officers, or the people that are at the foundational level, the ground level of the organization. They're some of the most influential leaders in any organization, them and the first-line supervisors. But what are we doing to build those leadership skills in them to ensure that they're leading the right way? So I think we need to step back and look at this. The breakdown occurs because it's fragmented, it's siloed, and we don't do anything to ensure that you are applying what you're learning when we send you on some of these programs. Yeah, everything that you're saying there is so, it's all flooding back to me now, the the lead from the front. You know, you can't you can't lead from the back. You have to be up front. You have to lead by example. And, you know, it's not uh, do what I say. It's do what I do. Um, and that's I think that's an extremely even though we everybody talks about it and it gets kind of pounded into us over and over and over again. I think that it's something that has to be brought up because people forget. I think that you hit the nail on the head with that. And it is super important that any officer doesn't matter if you're a new recruit all the way up to a chief. Um, or if you're in a security organization, corrections, if you're in the military, you're responsible for yourself and you can show leadership. It doesn't matter what role or what rank you have. You can show leadership in how you conduct yourself. Absolutely. And I think the other piece that we fail to tell people is that once you get promoted, so for example, if I go from constable or patrol officer to sergeant, the skills and the abilities and the things that made me promotable as a constable or a patrol officer or a deputy or a trooper, they now become irrelevant as a sergeant. And nobody ever tells me that. That's why we see so many people that get into formal leadership positions that want to go back and do what they were doing before because that's what got them promoted. A lot of organizations, the promotional process is all I, I, I. Brian, tell me what you did. Tell me about all your accomplishments. Tell me all this about you and everything they want from me is I, I, I. Now I get promoted and it's no longer about me. Now it has to be about the people that I have the privilege and the honor of leading. And nobody ever says, hey, Brian, once you get to this level, now you need a whole new set of skills to be successful at this level. And then once you're successful at that sergeant level, when you want to promote to staff sergeant or lieutenant or whatever the next rank is, then those skills that will get you promoted to that level, they now become irrelevant and you need to learn a whole new batch of skills at that level and nobody ever has that conversation with us so we assume that because you're good at the level you're at right now that that means that you're going to be good leading people uh, that are doing that job and they're two completely different tasks and two completely different mindsets and so this goes back to we need to do a better job of preparing people in advance for the realities of that and setting them up for success rather than just thrusting them into these positions and sometimes set them up for failure. And when they're in a formal leadership position and they fail, now there's a whole bunch of people in the organization that are going to pay the price for that. Absolutely. Now, we talked about Ailina as being a fantastic resource. One other one that I'd like to talk about is the Excellence in Training Academy. 
Now, this is something that you yourself had started, and we'll link the, the website to the show notes page here. It's excellenceintrainingacademy.com. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Academy? It's a professional development uh, program. Who it's for, what can they expect when they, uh, when they check it out? The Excellence in Training Academy is a professional development site for law enforcement trainers that are willing to invest in their own professional development. So I started a few years ago, and again, what I see is that a huge percentage of the training that uh, instructors or trainers are sent on is certification, recertification training. There's very little from in the way of professional development. What the Excellence of Training Academy is, is it's a membership site, so you pay a fee. Why a fee? Because we tend to value what we pay for. And now the fee comes out to less than a dollar a day, and there's individual memberships and training unit memberships. But what's on there currently is 176 interviews with law enforcement uh, professionals that have been involved in violent confrontations and the lessons that they've learned with researchers, with some of the top professors in various fields, with authors, people that have written critical books like Peter Brown, who uh, was the lead author for the book Make It Stick, which is about how to make learning sticky. Uh, and so there is uh, 100, currently 176 interviews and 12 webinars on there. We add a new interview every week, and there's going to be more webinars added in the coming months, and then we're going to start adding book reviews this month as well. But it's a site where trainers can go to get information, and the focus is how can we learn from these, from the research, from the experiences, from all these different elements that people have been involved in, and how can we take and apply that? So how can we enhance our training, our learning, so that we can learn the lessons from some of these people that have been involved in these incidents, and then apply it to what it is that we're training. So it's a professional development website for law enforcement trainers that are willing to invest a dollar a day uh, throughout the year in their own professional development. And it's a tremendous resource. There's a lot of diversity in the content that's on there. And we're continuing to add new content, like I said, on a weekly basis. Um, one other thing I'd like to let everybody know, too, is that, like you said, for a dollar a day or less than a dollar a day, um, you have access to some of these top experts, if you're going to fly down to a program or a conference like Aelita or anything else, you're spending, up, you know, flights, your hotels, you're spending the your registration fees and all that kind of stuff. But with this, you're 30 bucks a month. That's what, 10 coffees a month. Um, and you can do it at your own time, you know, at home. You can listen to these interviews um, while you're driving to work, while you're at the gym. And it's just a way to enhance your, your own knowledge. Um, which is something that I think you and I are both huge proponents of is that continual learning. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're an instructor or trainer, if you're just a, a patrol, it's just something that everybody should be doing. And I think that you're doing a, an awesome thing, putting all of this stuff out there for people to access. So thank you. for that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And we're working hard to continue to provide additional resources and key information to help enhance everybody's knowledge and understanding and help them better prepare for the challenges that they face. So if somebody wants to get a hold of Mr. Brian Willis, where, uh, where's the best place for them to, to reach you? Well, the two main websites uh, would be the first main, my main website is winningmindtraining.com, winningmindtraining.com. 
uh, and all the, my contact information. There's forms on there. There's a list of the courses that we offer, the upcoming class dates and locations, and there's links to some other resources on there. There's a recommended reading page. And then the other one would be the Excellence in Training Academy, so excellenceintrainingacademy.com. And then there's a, a third one that's lifesmostpowerfulquestion.com. And so that's a, a weekly blog post that's based on the philosophy, the win philosophy. So that's lifesmostpowerfulquestion.com. Yeah, so all of those are going to be linked to our show notes page and in the description here. So you can swipe and, and check those out uh, if, you're, if you're interested. And Brian, I just want to say thank you again. I know how busy you are, as you know, coming back from Aelita and with all the stuff that you're putting out with Winning Mind and Excellence in Training. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Hopefully, um, I know there's a lot of topics that we had talked about that we didn't get a chance to touch on today. Um, hopefully, you're willing to come back and uh, we can talk some more. Absolutely. Always willing to come back and talk about these critical issues. So I thank you for the opportunity and appreciate everything that you're doing. Thank you so much, my friend. I want to say thank you to everybody who joined us on the podcast today. If you haven't already, check out winningmindtraining.com. That is Brian's website. It links to the Excellence in Training Academy. It links to all of the books that he has available as well. All of these things we're going to have on our show notes page for you to check out. So don't worry. If you're enjoying the content, if you're finding it actionable, if you're finding that it's going to help you out with what you're doing, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. And I couldn't thank you guys more for supporting us and supporting what we do. Make sure to share it with your friends, with your colleagues, with instructors and trainers in your agencies. Let's get the word out there. Let's share this knowledge and information as much as we can. Thank you again for supporting the Tactical Breakdown Podcast. Stay safe.